Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Last Week in Brexit is brought to you by Pearson Solicitors and Financial Advisors, helping businesses and families for over a 100 years. And Manchester Chamber of Commerce. Connect, communicate, create. Hello and welcome to Last Week in Brexit, the podcast for Brexiteers and Remainers alike. I'm Jonathan Beardmore. With our 52% approval rating, myself, Christian Spence and Alex Davis will guide you through the choppy waters of Brexit. Welcome to this. It is last week in Brexit, in a week which has had, well, quite a lot of Brexit stuff going on. As always, I am joined by Alex Davis. Hello, Alex. Hello. And Christian Spence. Hello. Right, you've literally just finished watching Theresa May, so you've had no time to really prepare no. notes or anything, no time to digest <laughs> it or think about it, so just give me your immediate response. Go. Um, my immediate response is that, in some ways, it was good. Um, there was more admission and signs that they'd they've really thought about some of the trade-offs involved with this um a focus on you know some of the things that we've been saying are obvious for ages some of these facts were finally acknowledged um so i think in in some ways it was a good speech um the, the problem is is that the approach the detail on the approach was basically no more than we've had previously. Uh, still some massive issues which haven't been resolved at all, particularly around the Irish border and the customs union. Um, on, on that subject, it was basically a repetition of what we've heard. Yeah, what we've heard previously. Um, but, I mean, there, there are some things that some things that I liked about it. Um, I mean, first of all, there was an admission that market access would be lower than it is now for both parties. So, I think it, has she admitted basically that this is going to make us worse off? Um, Which is a really important line. It's what no yeah. one's ever spoken about. It's always been whatever we agree will be, you know, have all of the same benefits we have now. So just a simple statement of that is actually quite a big political move forward. Really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, saying what everyone else is thinking. Um, well, everyone else has been thinking for ages. Um, other stuff that I liked about it, um, well, oh, things that I didn't like. She once again ruled out every option that was already on the table. I mean, she did that about a year ago, so she ruled out Norway, uh, ruled out Canada, and, and, and ruled out the WTO, that's which, the, is, that's which, is, which is good, good so to see. She ruled out no deal. Ah. Yeah. So, a lot of this, I think, is posturing. So I think whatever deal they come out with is going to be based on another deal. But out of principle, we've now got to say we have a bespoke deal, no matter how much that bespoke deal looks like yeah. another deal. Well, she dwelled, she dwelled on this quite a bit. And, and she, ruled, she ruled out Canada... She ruled out Norway uh, because of... I, I think she got that incorrect. Um, and I, I think she's made that mistake before. She said that Norway has to accept all of the EU's laws, um, you know, and can't do anything about it, which I, I would argue with. I think, you know, people who have looked into it would suggest 
suggest that the numbers probably between 10 and 25% of EU law gets automatically put into uh, the EEA, uh, EEA law. Um, I'd also argue that they have a bit more influence than she seems to be implying. But on the WTO and the Canada options, she ruled them out for the right reasons. Um, you know, basically Ireland, she brought up as saying that they won't solve the problem of Ireland. Um, but she, yeah, she, she dwelled on this, this idea that it they keep going on about the fact that we can't cherry pick but then she went through a number of other international agreements so CETA is different and she went through a number of ways in which CETA is different to the agreement with South Korea for example uh, she went through the EU's relationship with Ukraine which is is, is completely bespoke uh, different to anyone else she, she mentioned Turkey so the point that she was making is that they're constantly telling us that we can't cherry pick but you know she said if this isn't cherry picking um you know, if this is cherry picking, then every free trade agreement that the EU's ever done is is, is cherry picking. Which, okay, makes sense. Yeah, uh, it, yeah, it's it's an understandable point to make. I, th- I think I think that was a, a decent point. So she, she was saying once again that what we're going to end up with is something completely unique. Um, you know, she mentioned all the buzzwords. We're going to have the the most amount of market access covering the most amount of sectors, the most comprehensive free trade deal that's ever been done. Um, so overall, for me, some some good things were said, some kind of admissions of reality, which people have wanted to hear for a long time. But the big issues around Ireland for me weren't solved. The customs union stuff was exactly the same as the paper that got put out something like six months ago, and the EU rejected. The position hasn't moved forward at all. Um, so whilst there were some good snippets in it, I don't particularly think it's going to move things on. Do you agree? Yeah, I, I, I think. I mean, for me, this is a speech she should have given in Lancaster House yeah. 14 months ago. Because um, whilst it's a lot more detail than we've heard in the last two years, there's still lots of detail not there. So there's still cause the big bees. You know, because it's uh, we've had an idea that you could. We think we should be ambitious and do. Um, she kept talking about some of my notes here uh, about not going through the default option all the time. She used a different phrase, but um, and it's like, well, yes, but it's you know, it's it's who are you negotiating with? And it still sort of feels that she's not actually taken any of the things that the EU has said over the past six months and sort of reflected on that. Yeah. She's really just, really just reiterated the same thing. Um, so I think with Alex, it's great that we've got genuine um, honesty that A, the market position would be worse. Of course it will. I mean, that was always known. But, but finally we have admitting of that. There's a huge concession, I think, on the sense that they see goods trade being basically identical as it is now. Our regulatory system is going to go nowhere away from that. Yeah. That, will, that will be a comfort to uh, to a lot of companies. Um, I think that that, sta- that, that sort of stabilises. But the how on the customs, as, as I said, it's still... She said we are leaving the customs union, there's absolutely no question about that. Other examples of EU, other country customs union, so Turkey being the most obvious... Don't work for the UK. Uh, that's that would also be correct um, as they are. But then all we have is the two options that have already been ruled out, mm. um, essentially. Um, and you know, the, one is the customs partnership. Um, so essentially, somehow we identify goods passing through the UK that are bound for the EU and apply EU conditions to those. Those that stay here don't, uh, and we can apply whatever it is we like for there. And I think. 
the well, the EU well we know the EU doesn't like that and the streamlined approach which is basically mm-hmm. just doing trust and trader scheme in Ireland and you just exempt SMEs from passing through the EU is going to have to show clearly to global authorities that its customs union is secure and can't be backdoored yeah and I don't know how how either of those will do that um, and you know, that, I mean, some people have pushed back and said, "Look, you know, the European Parliament did a nice paper a few months ago looking at a digital customs border." And I think it's it's plausible. I was talking at an event earlier this week on this sort of stuff. I can imagine actually, in ten years' time, most relatively integrated economies have got a, di- a mostly digital. The customs union bit is probably the bit that technology will take over yeah. more quickly than the single market bit, and that's doable. But it's not. There is no evidence that technology is ready. Or that anybody's actually sorted. You know, the WCA, World Customs Organization, wants to move to it. There will be some trials in the coming years, but it's not none of that tech's mature or visible yet. Um, and then, and then of course, she dwelt on services and said, you know, we acknowledge that moving outside the single market, we're not in the single market for services. We won't be in the single market for services. That means our market access will be different. But then went on to list most of the sectors <laughs> of the service sector where we want the UK to, uh, the EU to find a way to, I think basically keep as close to the status quo as we can. Yeah, the, lots of the red lines were made a little bit pinker. Um, yeah, so, that's a good way of putting it. So the ECJ one. Um, oh, yes. So she, she she went through she went over again the fact that we want to end ECJ jurisdiction, but she softened it up a lot so that our courts will um, look at the rulings of the ECJ. Um, and that line that the EC you know the European law and the rulings of the ECJ I've got it here quote will continue to affect us in the future. Um, but that's always been the case because it's a massive global legislating body. Yep. Um, but again, just a, an actual acknowledgement that yeah, that's yeah. the case. Now, what that will do for the response of this world, I don't know. That she she, met, she mentioned that for dispute settlement things like that, it couldn't be either of our courts. So again, that makes the first thing you think of is EFTA, but she didn't mention EFTA by name. But I, I still think that's um, actually reasonable. I think this is one of those areas where the EU, we've talked before about the EU, does overreach. It's all the things. That, I've always thought that's one of the areas where it actually does push yeah. far. You know, they, it would, I don't think, I'm talking on top of my head, I don't think the ECJ is the arbitrating court in any of the mm. EU trade agreements. Yeah. There is an independent court. So I think that's a reasonable place for us to keep pushing for. Uh, so before the podcast, you did mention as well that the speech and the positions that the speech sets out could lead to the EU undermining its existing EFTA members. Yeah, because, I mean, just just reading through all this, um, broad goods alignment, um, but outside cap, CFP, sorry, carbon agriculture policy, carbon fisheries policy, and ECJ jurisdiction, but with a high level of integration in services, sounds very, very like... After membership. Yes. Well, actually, like EEA membership, I suppose, yeah. the trade agreements aren't, aren't, aren't in there. Yeah. Only without free move to people. Yeah, and I, I was going to come back to this. Yeah. I think, I think there's, there's some massive contradictions still um, amongst, amongst all this. The, one of them is still this whole thing about us doing our own free trade deals. One thing that wasn't mentioned was how... Or do we plan to replicate the FTAs that the EU has? Yes, no mention. No, absolutely, absolutely no mention of that whatsoever. Although I think as a line, though, her acknowledgement that the if we were in a customs union similar to that with Turkey, we would lose the bidirectionality 
mm. of the free trade agreement. So essentially, they would gain access to our market at preferential yep. rates, but we wouldn't gain there. Yep. I think that's okay. a tacit acknowledgement that yeah, the yeah. FTAs is a problem. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, um, so she mentions that we need to leave the customs union because we don't want to be bound by the common commercial policy she mentioned it by name which yep. is good um, and we also don't want to uh, have the same tariffs as the EU so we don't want to have the common external tariff we want to be able to set our own um, but still this there wasn't an acknowledgement still that there isn't a hell of a lot for us to gain by doing these free trade deals on our own um, there, there was no kind of mention of what we potentially lose the cost of coming outside the customs union and making all this happen is not going to be offset by whatever gains we get from doing the free trade deals that that, that that's still a big contradiction in this whole thing for me mm-hmm. um, and then the, the second one is still the Irish border um, you know she put she put forward the two solutions which have been mentioned before and have been rejected before um, it's yeah it, it it just didn't seem to move things on. And I think, just going back to what you just said, I think perhaps what a lot of this comes down to is the immigration thing and that May is unwilling to try and fight the anti-immigration lobby, essentially. Yeah. Because I think what, what I said before the podcast was this is the softest possible Brexit that we can possibly achieve whilst coming outside the single market and the customs union. But it gives future governments the ability to go much harder if they want. That seems to be what we're negotiating. But the primary reasons for us not going into the EEA, because a lot of what we've asked for looks a lot like EEA after membership, is the fact that they also include freedom of movement. It's almost as if if we were to accept that freedom of movement was going to continue, then none of this would be necessary. It, 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 it seems to all revolve around that. I don't know if that's... No, I, th- I think that's a, a very... I think very good on the on the FTAs bit from earlier. So I, haven't, I haven't clocked that. But there's no... There was no rosiness in this. This is the... This is the, yeah, yeah. We are protecting what we think we can protect, but there was no, there was no big vision of the road, you know, the sunlit uploads. And I think that's good. We've had too much of that vision and not enough of the detail. So mm-hmm. it's good we now got the detail. Um, but it's interesting that big picture's missing. And it is. It's see, despite the fact, you know, she made a link between. She went through. We had it trailed in the media overnight uh, last night. This morning was her five big pledges, which I haven't bothered to write down. Um, I can't remember. Um, I've, I've got them. Oh, oh, look at that. Go on. Uh, number one, respect the result of the referendum. Yep, whatever that might mean. That's ridiculous. And, it? She, and she, that's it. She's interpreted that as power over yeah. money, laws and borders. Yeah. Uh, number two, the agreement must endure. Yep. So this, this seems, she seemed to be suggesting that whatever we agree, we don't want to have to constantly renegotiate yep. it. But and, and we talked last week actually about how that's often that's quite everyone, rare. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, everyone's constantly renegotiating. Yeah, renegotiating I'm, I'm not sure that's achievable. Um, number three was to protect jobs and security. Again, poss- possible if we can achieve what she said. I hate the idea of just protecting jobs for the sake of it. I mean, it, it makes no sense. <laughs> that, 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 that is one thing which I have a, re- a real big issue with. It, the jobs either exist or they don't exist. You can't just decide you want to protect jobs. Yeah, I think I, I, I loses their job because, yeah. Yeah, but of how, because of It's just a, a, stu- a stupid thing to say. Yeah. If, you, if you acknowledge your market access weakens, then yeah, yeah, the, it's the world will impossible. change. Yeah. Yeah. Um, number four, uh, it, it needs to be in alignment with the type of country that we want to be, which, yeah. again, was just a bit... Yeah, because the whole He's of this wh- speech actually, <laughs> the whole of this speech reiterated basically her speech on the steps of number ten when she became prime minister mm. last July or a year ago in July, 
um, about that she wants a country that works for everyone. I think at one point she even stole a line directly from Jeremy Corbyn. It, yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah. This has to work for the many, not the few, which is a bold parking of tanks. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, Number five was uh, strengthening the union. Um, well, that's the, 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 king, the United Kingdom, not the European Union. Yes, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> so, so it wants to go for ever closer union, just with different countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, okay. just with Northern Ireland, Scotland and Wales. Um, and then she, she came through with five more things that it shall do. There should be reciprocal and binding agreements, which is, well, frankly, that's what a free trade... That's what, yeah, yeah. Deal that's is. what they all are. Yeah. Independent arbitration mechanism. I said, this is, this is reasonable. The, the EU is pushing hard for the ECJ to be involved in areas where it doesn't need to be. Um, so absolutely, there will be some form of joint court. Um, ongoing dialogue, well, obviously. Data protection, yes, certainly hugely important. Interesting, she called for an ongoing role for the ICA, the Information Commissioner's Office, which no, is, is that, a case regulator. Well, yeah, so that's interesting, because I can see that being an issue um, with American firms, because America has nothing like the privacy protection that that the EU has. And if we want to go and do all this digital business with the United States, I think that is that is where the sticking point will be. That, that'll be a big one. Actually, the ICA, I mean, our digital structure on the whole is better than most of the EU uses. Mm. The, the, this is one data security is one area where uh, the UK is absolutely leading global regulation mm-hmm. uh, in how all of that happens. Um, but a role for the ICA in European data protection, I think, is the EU buying that. Uh, it's a very niche thing to add Add to this speech, you think? It is, it is. But I think there's probably an acknowledgement that if you want all of the services stuff to work, then data's important. Data's mm. really important because essentially that's how you deliver services across borders, is digitally. Um, mostly there are, some, there are other references to the digital sectors. And then maintaining people links was this fifth one. Um, that UK citizens will want to work out and study in the EU and vice versa. Free, free, free yeah. freedom of movement. <laughs> yeah, um, it should be freedom of movement, but except we get to choose who comes and who doesn't. Yeah, it seems to me like there's a, a few things which she was purposefully trying to name check. Um, so the ICO is probably one of them. Um, she also mentioned uh, another point which I haven't made actually. She, she, well, she mentioned Euratom. There was a little bit of a yes, rollback on Euratom. Yeah. So it basically sounded to me like we wish we hadn't been so hasty with saying we'd come out of this because we want to be really, really, really closely aligned to it. Um, um, but also, she again mentioned this idea that standards are increasingly global. Yeah. Um, and she mentioned UNES, the United Nations uh, Economic Committee for Europe, I think. Like I think, which is a gl- a global standard setting body. So, so again, I think this is a good a good thing for her to be saying that there is an understanding that uh, regulations and standards are incre- increasingly set on on the global stage rather on, than on the EU stage. Mm-hmm. But again, within that lies another massive con- contradiction for me because that also n- n- doesn't make the case for leaving the single market if, if, yes. if, if standards are all increasingly coming from the global these global organisations um, the single market will continue to be aligned to those standards so it kind of negates the, the whole point of leaving the single market yeah. If, if we're going to rely on ourselves to globally set regs and standards, then you know where are we planning to diverge? And if that's the case, why? Uh, I, I think yeah, that was, that was perhaps another one of the contradictions within the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I, um, do, I mean, I do kind of wonder. I mean, this is the area she said air maritime. Um, I mean, was it specific yeah. continued? Yeah. Specific continued. Um, Use of the regulation essentially for chemicals, aerospace, and medicines, although it would be taken in, in UK courts. Um, 
but it does kind of bring the question about with all of this now as she's talked about it is where does where does she see the UK ever diverging from any no hmm. any of this because he said none of those the big pictures about we're going, actually the reason we're going is so that we can set our own independent policy next yeah. is there doesn't appear to be any members well, of I guess divergence mm. when we talk about divergence what we're talking about is the lessening of standards for a large for a large part I mean there's nothing well, to say because there's nothing new if you can strengthen you strengthen the EU do, is very happy for member states to go over and above but, she, but she, she specifically said that there is no appetite or no mandate from the people to lower standards. She, she basically yeah. said that we wouldn't. From lower which standards. people? I mean, I mean, so I mean, my view on this is from like the, from the populace generally of the UK. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel very uncomfortable with all the standards and, and people putting increasingly high standards on things like production because it should be a thing that markets sort out rather than cent, rather than central governments. Mm-hmm. I, it's not something which I which, which I like one bit actually. But yeah, but it's whether it's whether. It, it, she just basically said we're not going to go backwards. Um, I, I don't think there, there is much appetite among businesses, particularly, to well, go backwards. I, I guess the area where there is the most um, uh, the most friction, or will be the most friction, is the free movement of people. Now, do you think, because of the political appetite, you've got all the nonsense going on now with the Volgograd 4, who want to um, restrict access to, to, to the borders, do you think that's going to get a bit more of a softer hearing now than it would have, say, 12 months ago, two years ago? I don't know the what for. Sorry, the Volgograd Four, which is which is the uh, late ex- um, what do you call them? The late accession states, uh, Pol- oh, Pol- uh, Poland, so, so, yeah, so, yeah. so forth. Okay, so yeah, so so, so the E8, we would call them yeah, when the Eastern European bloc came, mm. and the, the E2, the A2, sorry, with um, Bulgaria and, uh, and Romania. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think. I think if you look at the, the, the wider opinion polling on this, the the UK population's view on, on immigration freedom is, is is not clear. No. Um, so there appears to be the way I sort of I've sort of read it over the past couple of years is there is a resistance to free movement in the sense of you just come and establish here without mm. no matter who you are, as it were. Take it in the broadest point. But there doesn't actually appear to be a major problem with migration overall. So it's not about numbers, mm. but about sort of methodology. And that's sort of a slightly odd place, I think, for a, just a wide populist sort of yeah. yeah, it's, so it's a very hard box to tick. I think even, you, if I said even UKIP, even UKIP kind of acknowledge this in its election manifesto, that it's, that it's control of the volume. And I guess that seems... I mean, maybe that's quite a nice narrative to write this speech, actually, that it's, it's about we have the freedom to change our regulations freedom to do things differently even though essentially we acknowledge we're not doing it yeah. and yeah. sovereignty is a point of principle um, rather than actually changing it I understand why that ticks sort of referendum boxes now but I do wonder how people in 10 years time might view it that because we will have spent over that time that period of time kind of hundreds of billions of quid doing all of this and the negotiations and the political capital if all you've actually done at that point is basically end up where you are today I think, I think, unfortunately, lots of Brexiteers would be happy with that. Yeah, no, 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 <laughs> I, th- I think, I think as, right. as long as we're setting our rules and we, <laughs> yeah. we've regained sovereignty, it doesn't matter if everything that we do is the same as it, it would have been otherwise. Do you know what? I'm sort of, <laughs> I'm sort of in agreement there. I mean, there, there is a principle at play, mm-hmm. and these principles are, um, it's, are indeed It's are shortening indeed the chain of accountability. Yeah. That is basically it. Yeah. I think yeah, it would be... I mean, I think everyone looks at the Brexit process as very negative 
positive because it, you know, it involves so many people, so you know, like I said, political capital, effort. Um, but without it, we would have no idea exactly how com- complicated the whole the whole thing is. I think it's actually a very healthy discussion about trade and rules and everything Just in else. Terms of, yeah, bringing, bringing things to the public fore which haven't been there for I mean, our, 40, 50 years. I mean, our government, with all the resources which it has at its disposal, which is pretty much limitless, has taken the best part of 18 months just to understand it. And it gives mm-hmm. you an idea of exactly, you know, that this conversation actually needed to happen. Yeah. yeah. I, I made this point in, in a talk I did last week, and... Uh, Someone told me that it was very profound. Um, Ooh, which was here we go. Which was um, that lo- lots of like, kind of the, the very hard Brexiteers or the very hard Remainers, they're they're not particularly interested in in detail. Their their arguments are kind of happening on a higher level than that. Yeah, and I think for lots of people on the hard Brexit, the, the really hard Brexit side of things, it's perhaps because. Um, you know the world is really really complicated and you know international trade is really complicated and hard to understand and for lots of people the EU has almost become an embodiment of the complexity of the modern world exactly right and so it doesn't really matter if nothing changes as long as it feels like we've uh, extracted ourselves from some of that complexity so you know, I'll see tweets from people and they'll look at the draft legal text being put forward and stuff. And what they imply is basically, look look how complicated and all this is. Like, the fact that I can't understand this is another, is another reason why we should be leaving this institution. It's almost exactly how I feel. Yeah, it's, it's basically, it's, it's all complicated and, and I don't understand it, therefore we need to... Uh, Get back to grassroots. I think what we've done is we've actually outsourced the complexity of a lot of stuff over to the EU, which have done a great job of hiding it and simultaneously making it more complex. Yeah, the, the question is, is our UK government, and I guess you know, the, those who are asking for it, ready that all our complexity now sits with us? Mm. Um, yeah. that's, that's a really good one. Because you know, from a kind of corporate viewpoint, we always try and put this in, we are a chamber of commerce, actually one of the things we try and do a lot is outsource complexity. Yeah. Now there's a huge risk involved in that. Uh, government outsourced a lot of complexity to Carillion and it's not gone very well um, but it, it's a trade-off you need to, it's where are lab acts on the line do you want you can have 100% control over very very complex things which actually means if you're good then you get the advantages to, to play those to your strengths um, if you're not very good then things can go badly wrong but you know, the flip is true the other way around Mm. Right, well, why don't we take a little bit of a, um, a detour somewhere else and we'll get back onto Brexit. So, it's sort of Brexit-related, but not exactly. Go on. Is this a, a surprise? Yeah, it's a complete surprise, but you'll be able to handle it absolutely, absolutely <laughs> perfectly. Um, amazingly, I was looking through Twitter, as I do, because that's where all news comes from now, and uh, I started seeing more and more tweets talking about the UK's deficit. And then I thought, this is absolutely incredible. There's so much um, news coverage dedicated to Brexit and the effort going, going, going on to Brexit. Have we missed that the UK no longer has a deficit, or is that a simple way of reading it? Uh, the news story this week is that the UK is no longer running a current budget deficit. Uh, and both George Osborne and David Cameron popped onto social media yesterday to say, we've done it! I mean, the thing that we set out to do <laughs> in our emergency budget of 2010, we finally managed, albeit Two years later than we promised it would happen. Um, well done, everyone, for kind of putting up with the uh, with putting with all the mess as all that's happened. So it doesn't mean that the UK UK's debt pile is not still growing. It is. It is still the debt is because of infrastructure spending and that kind of thing. And other things. So what? So the current budget, a balanced current budget, means the amount you're spending minus capital investment and debt repayment. 
Oh. Oh. Is <laughs> balanced. So your current data they spend, excluding debt services and capital uh, spending, is now in balance. So the government is day to day paying for itself. It's not yet raising enough money to a fund capital schemes or b pay the interest on the debt of those capital schemes or the interest of the debt that we've already got. Oh right. So it's actually, still got a way to get. Yeah. It's still got about thirty odd billion, thirty or forty billion a year more to raise. So to that's that we're talking something along the lines of the size of the of of the, of the defence budget again. Absolutely. Yep. Oh, right. Well, then. So, sorry, sorry to pop your bubble, <laughs> there you but I mean, it's, it's good news. It, it's one of the most important balancing bits that, that's around. A little while ago, Greece reached this barrier um, as well. It's an important marker. You are covering your day-to-day spend. Uh, I mean, I, I kind of the way I look at it is, it sort of highlights the gravity of Brexit that this only kind of made it to me via via Twitter, really. Yeah, it, 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 it hit all the papers. It was, yeah, it was big news in the, in the FT, it was big news in the Times, in, in those sort of major spaces, but it's, uh, I thought it might have caused a bit more uh, a bit more wider public opinion. You can see the world here is applauding the fact yeah. that you've raised that as an important issue. Well, I mean, <laughs> well, I, mean the, I mean, the news that we, uh, sorry, the noise that we can hear in, in the background is just Manchester Chamber of Commerce doing another great job that, um, uh, <laughs> over this week, isn't it? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, just it. giving so, ourselves an applause, as we, as we do on every Friday afternoon. Come what may. Absolutely. Come what may. No matter the state of the Manchester economy, we, we will be clapping. Um, right, let's get back to Brexit. Um, a couple of things that happened this week. Um, one I'd like to address quickly was Northern Ireland. And Boris Johnson got himself in, in, in a bit of a mess. Uh, I think the EU came out with some sort of recommendation or some sort, some, sort, some sort of ideas. Where are we with Northern Ireland? Are we any closer to getting, well, anywhere, really? Um, the EU came. It was this Wednesday. The EU came out with its draft withdrawal agreement, um, which is basically trying to operationalise the joint report agreement uh, after, that closed phase one in December last year. Try and turn that into a legal text, essentially. Um, and it did cause a bit of hassle because. How do I start explaining this? So, back in the joint report, uh, we essentially agreed to the idea that in the absence of uh, another solution, we would maintain full regulatory alignment um, in order to maintain the invisible border in Ireland. Um, And so, in their attempt to turn this into a legal text, and it is a draft, it is just, you know, we're going to negotiate on it, this isn't the final thing. Um, the EU singled out Northern Ireland to maintain the, the alignment that it needs to avoid the hard border in Ireland, mm. um, but did not um, imply that that alignment would be would uh, apply to the, the rest of the UK. Therefore, implying that the border would then fall between Ireland and the UK in the Irish Sea, um, and this caused lots of uproar amongst people who a either didn't realise that we essentially agreed to this in December of last year or B, thought that the EU were being a little bit cheeky by not including the whole of the UK in this alignment uh, arrangement um, you know, some, some people seem to think that it, it, I, I think good faith, uh, negotiating in good faith is actually a, a thing in international trade t- international, oh, okay. oh, uh, in, in international terms so Why I, is it not in normal terms? Well I, I think it's like you, you can take take uh, take it into a court essentially and say that they're not doing this in good faith really? I, th- I, th- I think it's like a concept and so people were trying to imply that they, this wasn't in good faith because rather than trying to maintain uh, the union 
in, in the United Kingdom, they'd split us up essentially um, when they could have tried to keep us together. Um, I, and there's people arguing on Twitter about whether exactly or not they should have done this. Yeah, it's, it's not clear whether it is the you know, EU overreach we talked about, whether they're just having a... I mean, some people have suggested, but it actually feels quite plausible. This is kind of the EU trying to shock the UK into doing something. Yeah. Um, because, as you said, we, we agreed and we signed off, and actually Theresa May reiterated uh, in the speech this afternoon the full commitment to that which was agreed um, in phase one, which is a threefold approach. If you can't make the border go away under a free trade agreement, which you won't be able to, and you can't make it go away under some form of other technology which hasn't yet been invented, then you will maintain yeah. uh, regulate, full regulatory alignment on customs and uh, single market policy. Uh, but of course, we've not, we also promised that we'd go away and draft all that into a legal text, and we haven't done that yet. Um, and we've not really showed any signs of how we start to bring that forward. So this might just be because I've noticed. I think we mentioned the other day, Alex. You know, Donald Tusk and uh, uh, and other f- officials in the EU have, in their kind of social media and general speeches over the past week or so, become increasingly sort of slightly touchy and touchy. That I think there's a genuine feeling from them that we need something. Where are you? Yeah. Um, Where's all the stuff we promised we'd be getting on with? You want all this agreed by a council meeting which is due to sit in three weeks, and you've not sent us a piece of paper yet. Yeah. Uh, could we please get on? So I do wonder whether the, the, it is too harsh that the EU has overreached, but is there, there might be a purposeful bit of shock tactics here. There was a short period last year where it felt like we were starting to take some of this a bit more seriously. So when the all the papers were coming out, on, you know, we did a, a paper on the customs union, yeah. uh, the paper on trade, it seems like we were, we were trying to put you know, positions forward uh, you know, as incoherent as they might have been. It at least seemed like the government was making some effort to uh, set out its position, whereas now we are thoroughly back in the Brexit by speech uh, approach. Um, and it, it's, it's kind of horrible to watch the EU come forward with all these draft legal documents and say, you know, well, look, in, in, in an absence of a plan from you guys, we're going to come up with one. Um, it, it's just, it doesn't sit well with me that we're not taking the initiative with this. And next week we're getting the draft trade bill. Um, so again, they're going to have the first go at that. So it just means in this negotiations, they're, they're putting their position forward before we are, which I think gives them the upper hand. Um, yeah, first move advantage. Yeah. Ooh, well, they're, they're doing Brexit by process, we're doing Brexit by politics. Yeah. Which is, I think, so which we're pointing out time and time again. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, right, we're going to have to call it, uh, uh, bring this to an end, I, I think, because there's just too much to celebrate at the Greater Manchester Cha- Chamber of Commerce. There are always <laughs> many things to celebrate. It's a happy place. So, um, thank you once more, gents. Um, Give us, your, give us your Twitter handles. I'm at GMCC underscore Alex. And I'm at GMCC underscore Christian. Fire all of your Brexit-related questions there, and if you ever want to, you can also find me a question or follow me, at Joe Beardmore. Until next week, when we'll be doing some more clapping. Uh, see you then. Goodbye. <laughs> ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.